You know, art has always had its destructive critics. One thinks of the Taliban blowing up those magnificent Buddhas. Even earlier, you could say that the term deface goes back to ancient Egypt when a pharaoh might literally deface the great uh, effigies of his predecessor. You see the consequences all over the temples at Karnak. And, of course, when Hitler wasn't burning books, he was more than happy to see pyres made of paintings he regarded as decadent. But now something else is happening. It won't have escaped your attention that over the past few months there's been a spate of attacks on famous artworks by protesters from various groups demanding actions on climate change. Now, Monet's uh, masterpiece, or one of his many haystacks, was pelted with mashed potatoes in Potsdam. One of Van Gogh's sunflowers had tomato soup hurled at it or over it at uh, London's National Gallery. And Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring was uh, targeted by something or other in the Netherlands. Now, closer to home, climate activists have glued themselves to a Picasso in Melbourne and stuck themselves to a Campbell's soup can image at the NGA. Now, just a few days ago, Reports came in of museum cards foiling an attempt by a different group of activists in Oslo attempting to glue themselves to Munch's uh, The Scream. Now, while the purpose of the protests may be laudable, I can only concur with the museum protesters in Norway shouting, I scream, when the law, the lawmakers ignore science. Museum directors condemn the attacks, pointing out that activists underestimate the fragility of the artworks they target. Now, we had an interesting chat about art activism with Farah Nereri here on the Little Wilders program in March. She's a cultural writer, a cultural writer for the New York Times and author of a new book called Takedown, Art and Power, in the digital age, and her book takes a look at the way contemporary political issues have made their way into galleries and museums. She joins us from London. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Philip, for inviting me back. Now, last time you were on, we talked about how Western art is becoming more democratic, more inclusive, and, of course, ever more accessible. But, of course, the downside of this is that... uh, venerated artworks become more exposed to attack. Yes, that's right, Philip. I mean, um, the whole uh, trajectory of democracy uh, has been to also democratize art. And, uh, you know, it used to be something that only popes and princes and nobility could look at in the the privacy of their palazzi and and their um, mansions and grand homes. But then, of course, from the 18th century, museums became open to ordinary folks. Anyone could walk in and look at these works of art. And as time has gone by, um, these works have become more and more and more accessible to all of us. We can really reach out and touch them if we wanted to. And so, of course, this is this is a great thing, and it's it's a it's a fantastic privilege. But it also does subject these works of art to peril 
of some kind or another. So far, we haven't had any damage done to any great masterpieces. But I worry with the recent spate that we're seeing that one of these days, you know, these uh, climate activists will target a painting that actually doesn't have an ultra slim, barely visible glass pane protecting it. And, you know, they might miscalculate and throw some of their red goo or their black tar or whatever it is uh, and do uh, irreparable damage to what is, after all, the heritage of all of humanity. In your book, Takedown, you write that the 20th century saw the emergence of a new breed of art vandal, the vandal with a cause. Tell me about one of the 20th century's first art vandals, Mary Richardson. Yes, well, Mary Richardson, I have to say, is still one of the most famous art vandals of all time uh, because she was a militant suffragette. And in March 1914, she walked right into uh, London's National Gallery in Trafalgar Square and she staged a protest using a work by the great Spanish master Diego Velázquez. Um, she was protesting the fact that her, um, that her suffragette, uh, fellow suffragette Emily Pankhurst had been um, arrested and to draw attention to, to Pankhurst's arrest and to the cause of the suffragettes. Uh, Richardson, who herself was an art student and a journalist, she turned up at the museum with a meat cleaver. I guess in those days they didn't have the metal detectors that would have sort of picked that up, you know, on her way in. And she started hacking away at this extraordinary master masterpiece uh, by uh, Velázquez, which is called The Toilet of Venus, but is also, of course, more famously known as the Rokeby Venus. And so there it was, the Rokeby Venus bearing the slashes of a suffragette. And the reason why she'd, I guess, taken aim at this at this poor uh, Venus um, lying naked on her side with her back to those of the viewer was that, uh, you know, Richardson said she was trying to destroy the picture of the most beautiful woman in mythological history as a protest against the government for destroying Mrs. Pankhurst, who is the most beautiful character in modern history. And of course, um, you know, there was some, um, you know, repair and restoration done to the Rokeby Venus, which you and I can see any day we like, completely free of charge by walking into the National Gallery and visiting the permanent collections. I would imagine that the Mona Lisa has been perhaps the most targeted single work. Absolutely, without question. Um, when I wrote my book, uh, I had counted four acts of vandalism against the Mona Lisa alone, and uh, and uh, not to mention the fact that she was stolen and uh, by an Italian man who took her to Italy for, for quite some time. Um, he had been working at the Louvre and he felt the Mona Lisa belonged in Italy. So eventually they retrieved the Mona Lisa, but since then there have been these repeated attacks, and so the tally has now risen. In my book, I counted four. But now recently we just had five because, as you, I'm sure, saw in recent video, uh, over the summer, a young man who was sort of was disguised as an elderly lady in a wheelchair rolled up to the Mona Lisa as if to look at her closely and pulled out a cream cake and smeared it all over the very thick bulletproof glass that does protect the lady. Um, but then, so the guard came, you know, he, he was rushed out and then he started shouting these slogans about protecting the planet 
and um, you know, wake up people. We need to protect the planet. Meanwhile, the security guard took out a cloth or a handkerchief and started cle trying to clean the cream off the Mona Lisa. But of course, it worsened matters, and <laughs> so you have all these <laughs> you have all these uh, smartphone pictures of the Mona Lisa just completely covered by smeared cream. Yeah. I suddenly remember a great Australian attack on a masterpiece, and that involved a, a Hungarian-Australian called Laszlo Toth, who wandered uh -huh. into the Vatican carrying a sledgehammer to hell with the he inspectors did. and metal detectors and belted the tribes out of Michelangelo's Pieta. Absolutely right. And he's in my book uh, in May 72, Laszlo Toth, as you say, who was an Australian geologist of Hungarian origin, walked up to the marble marvel, and he dealt more than a dozen hammer blows to it. Can you imagine? Just picture it. Just picture someone going at the Pietà of Michelangelo, which to my mind is the greatest sculpture ever made, and, and hacking it, hacking, you know, the, the Virgin Mary's forearm fell off, and so did sections of... Uh, of her nose and eyelid. Well, so I'm, an, I, I'm an atheist, but yeah. I, I must say I regarded that as one of the great acts of blasphemy. I felt similarly yes. about uh, the great masterwork, arguably the greatest single artwork of the 20th century, and that's because mm -hmm. there's Guernica. Yes. Well, Guernica uh, was, uh, in fact, attacked um, by this man called Tony Shafrazi, who's quite a well-known art dealer now, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> back then, he was, uh, he was an artist. He produced a can of red spray paint from his pocket, and he wrote, Kill Lies All, in massive letters, across this black and white uh, masterpiece as it was hanging at MoMA in New York. And uh, I guess it was an uh, um, allusion to Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, Lies All Lies, and um, he was reacting to the pardoning uh, by Nixon of an army officer uh, for the um, William uh, Kelly. The Lai Massacre. Yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. The Melee Massacre so, of 68. That's right, that's right. And uh, so thankfully, I think conservatives were able to uh, fix that and, um, quite quickly. Uh, my understanding is they, uh, they were able to erase the lead, red, red lettering within an hour using organic solvent and surgical uh, scalp. But there is a sort of poetic appropriateness of that because, of course, Picasso's painting was an anti-war protest. Exactly, and that's what the man wanted to draw attention to. Um, he basically said that, you know, he was, he was lamenting the, the, the tragedy and massacres of the Vietnam War, and he could not understand that this man, who was um, the only U.S. Army officer to go on trial, trial for the My Lai Massacre of 68, could be let off the hook by Nixon. So, again, people taking works of art because they're so famous and because they're so protected and so closely watched and using works of art as a platform, as a stage for whatever their, their cause might be. But I think that, that that is just a kind of very worrying thing for someone like me, Philip, who venerates and worships art on a daily basis. Now, let's come back to 2022 and the current spate mm. of eco-attacks. We've got mashed potato and we've got uh, tomato soup. <laughs> The menu yeah. it's, seems to be lengthening by the moment. 
the, the masterpieces have so far survived, haven't they? Yes, they have, because, I mean, to be completely honest with you, despite the fact that I practically live in these museums, I had not paid attention to the fact that things like that, like that Van Gogh's sunflowers do have a very, very, very thin sheet of glass over them. I mean, I really, it's so, it's so thin that, that it's barely visible to the naked eye. And I remember, you know, I was there the other day just to see, just to see the scene of the action. Of course, there was no harm done. And I could see these young women come up to the painting and say, oh, look, there's the damage there. Because they couldn't see the glass and they thought they were seeing damage. Um, so, so far, these protective glass sheets have managed to, well, save humanity from, from tragedy. Um, but, you know, who knows? There might be a hole in one of these glass sheets. There might be, you know, uh, all kinds of reasons why these very, very fragile and extraordinary and one-of-a-kind works of art um, may be threatened. Um, and I mean, the one point that I make made in a, in a recent column about this for, for Artnet is um, that works of art, there's only one of them. You can read a great book and you can, you know, reproduce it in many multiples. You can listen to a beautiful piece of music, again, reproducing it in many, many multiples. But a work of art, there's only one of it. And to this day, humankind has not been able to re replicate the experience of standing before the real thing. So if you ruin the real thing, you know, all of humanity is suffering because the work is destroyed for all time. Unless Mark Zuckerberg solves the problems with his uh, wondrous yes. new technologies. And, of course, I'm not being serious for a nanosecond. So what's yes. been the response around the world with, uh, with museum directors? Well, I mean, as, as you know and you were alluding to in your introduction, the International Council of Museums has put out a pretty harsh statement this week uh, or in the past couple of days and uh, they're they're very very concerned and and a whole great number of museum directors have signed this and um they write in this statement that there have been attacks and the activists responsible for them severely underestimate the fragility of these irreplaceable objects and they also write that we have been deeply shaken by their risky endangerment so uh you know this is kind of getting getting to a place where everyone is worried, including visitors, including the general public. I just don't think the public is on the side of the protesters. Well, you and make, the, you, you make the, uh, the sensible point that these recent attacks may be backfiring, hurting the cause they set out to serve. Well, exactly. I mean, I went up to the Van Gogh that had been attacked with uh, tomato soup and uh, I looked at what was happening around it. And every few minutes, every few uh, seconds, you would see a small swarm of visitors gather around the painting and take pictures of it because they wanted a memento, a kind of souvenir of the attack, the tomato soup attack that they'd all seen on television or on their video screens or smart screens. And... Um, and what I noticed was that people were more drawn and interested and fascinated by Van Gogh and by his sunflowers and by the museum 
and more concerned about what might have happened to the painting than they were about the actual stop the oil or whatever the, sorry, just stop oil or whatever uh, the campaign was trying to draw attention to itself. I went up to a couple of young women who were looking at the painting and I interviewed them. And one of them said, I just don't see this is a very good way of attracting attention. Why attack a painting when you want people to think about environmentalism? So I think that there is a disconnect there, yeah. Lovely to talk to you again, even on a sad subject. Thanks for that. <laughs> Farah Nairi, arts and culture writer for The New York Times and host of the Culture Blast podcast. And I heartily, heartily recommend her new book, Take Down Art and Power in the Digital Age. It's out now from Astra Publishing House. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.